Philippians chapter 4. All right, well, we are actually uh, kind of what is called the most wonderful time of the year, right? It is Christmas season. I, I, I just need you to know, if, you, if you're just kind of learning who I am, that I love the Christmas season, man. I, this just can't come soon enough. I kind of orient, you know, life like whether I'm like four months away till Christmas season, you know. And, you know, for, for me, like just, just, the, just everything about it, and I probably romanticize past Christmases. I have a high degree of association with cold and snow, okay? So a day like this is like, yes, this is perfect, you know. I mean, I, I love this. Now, you need to know that the rest of the country has a lot of snow and ice. And, and oh, I grew up in the north, in Montana and Minnesota. Uh, went to college and spent my early working years in Oregon. And so I, I like cold weather and I like the snow. And this was just perfect, okay? And then not only do you have all of the, the idea of the kind of the cold weather, but there's all this music that is associated with Christmas. Now, I don't really know what my job description is, but I think that one of the points on there is that I actually determine, at least on a staff level, when we can start listening to Christmas music, okay? So now we have a policy that what happens at staff meeting stays at staff meeting, but I will tell you this, just this one little insight. Like, I usually announce sometime in November, anytime that we slip, you know, below 50, so it's really cold, you know, I'm going to announce that we can start officially listening to Christmas music, okay? Although this year, uh, I, I was going to make my big proclamation at staff meeting, and lo and behold, we already have people on staff that are listening to Christmas music, okay? So I don't even know what my role is around here anymore, okay? So, you know, we have all sorts of music associated with Christmas. And then, of course, there's all the decorations. I mean, when I walked in here this morning, this auditorium, and I was like, oh, this is absolutely beautiful. And I've got my wife convinced now that the day after Thanksgiving, we can now decorate our house. And I still get a few things out early, like I did the outside stuff, because that's not technically inside, things like that. Because, you know, you, you decorate, and it's just beautiful. And there's all the music, there's the decorations, and then, of course, there's the food associated with Christmas, okay? You know, and I know that I'm going to gain 10 pounds in this season, so I just kind of, I'm living with that reality. And, but there's all this kind of good food that is associated, and cookies, and particular treats that kind of just show up at Christmas. And you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that's all part of it. And then there's like being together with family or friends or just kind of coming together. There's all this that goes with the season and the wonder of Christmas. And that is all great when you think about all the family food and events and planning and parties. But you know, you can go through Christmas and it can kind of leave you kind of hollow, okay? I, I know this from firsthand experience. I spent a lot of years kind of you're hoping that being at the right party or having these experiences or just eating two rows of lasagna instead of two pieces is going to make you really feel like you've arrived and you've got joy and peace and happiness. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, Christmas, this season, there are more people that are depressed and there are more suicides during the Christmas season than in any other time of the year. And it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And how is it that that so many people are going through Christmas and you see images on TV and you, you think like, well, it should be this way. I read about it in a book and yet, man, life is empty. You feel discouraged. And I can tell you that as, that as a non-believer in many my years, that, that's exactly how I went through. You're trying to grasp at certain images or events or things that you think will really make you feel fulfilled and they end up maybe give you short-term happiness but never long-term joy. And even as Christians, there are going to be many Christians that are going to go through this Christmas season 
And it's going to leave them feeling empty. There's something missing. They're going to feel overwhelmed, burdened, discouraged. And, and they're not exactly sure why. And it, what really bothers them is that I'm, I actually know Christ. So how is it that I still feel so empty and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm missing it? What, what's going on? If you can relate to this, I just want you to know from my heart to yours, I want you to really know how you can truly experience joy this Christmas. And not only just for the Christmas season, but for life throughout the rest of your years. I would just like to take a few minutes to tell you how this can be really your reality. If you've got your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4, there are some verses that are probably familiar to you, but these two verses actually give you the key to joy in life. I'm not talking about short-term happiness that is fleeting, but how can you experience joy in life? And notice, you just pick it up right here in verse 4, chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. He says, Find your joy in the Lord, and he says, and again, I'll, I'll write it again, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say, again, I say, rejoice. He says, literally, find your gladness and your confidence, your sense of well-being, your identity, your peace in knowing the Lord and not your circumstances. And then, you know, if you feel like you can find true joy and anything or anyone but Christ, I just want you to know up front, it'll never happen. It actually explains why oftentimes you just kind of got a low-grade misery as you go through life. It's because you're trying to squeeze life out of something that really can't give you at a deep soul level. You watch the stuff on TV, and you think like, oh man, if I just had that experience, or I had that party, or that car, or that toy, or then you hear about other people, and they're having this wonderful vacation or whatever, and you think, if I could just somehow orchestrate those experiences, I will have what is called true joy at a soul, soul level. I'll know peace and hope and contentment like I've never known it before. The problem is, those people and those experiences and those gadgets, and those toys, and that home, and that vacation can never give you what is found in Christ. There is no joy apart from him. There actually is no such thing. I know that you see images that make you think like, oh, they're sure having a great time. But it is temporal, and it's not true joy. Gladness, confidence, peace, hope, and joy are found in knowing Jesus. So that's why he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And he says, verse 5, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. The gentle spirit has the idea of calm, gracious, you're reasonable, your caring spirit be made known to all men because the Lord himself is near. In fact, he's very near. For you and I who are trusting in Christ, he actually dwells in our hearts by faith. And we can live differently because we have relationship with Christ. If you're wanting to know, what is God seeking to develop in my life? He is seeking to bring us into the fullness of maturity in Christ where we actually look like him 
and his life is emanating from us. There is a graciousness, a gentleness. You don't have to power up on people. You don't have to try to find your identity and how much money you've got or your status or your degrees or what you've accomplished or your home. But you find your identity and peace in Christ. And that allows you to be gentle and gracious to other people. You find your joy in knowing him. Now, I'll tell you, this is, this is really good news to find your joy in Christ. Because if, apart from Christ, if we didn't have Christ coming to this earth that we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas, we would never really know true joy. And God has designed us for joy, joy in him. Now, if you're like going, okay, well, that's, that's one verse there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Is it is it, though, a central theme to Scripture? Does, does God really want us to orient our life on Christ? Well, just go back a chapter. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that interesting? By the way, Paul's writing this, this letter to Philippians. Do you know where he's writing it from? He's writing it from the joyous location of a Roman prison. You see, joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is dependent upon the focus of your heart. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again. Guess what? It's no trouble for me, but it is a safeguard for you. For me to write, to proclaim that you and I need to find our joy in Christ, he says, guess what? Not a problem for me. I'm going to keep saying it because this is my message. But it is a safeguard for you. How many of you ever, uh, like, driven in the mountains? Okay, we don't really have a lot of these in Texas, but if you've ever left the great state of Texas and just ventured out some of the places, there are these things called mountains, they're really tall, big, you know, and they actually have roads where you actually can ascend them. And what they generally look like are, are switchbacks, okay? And so you kind of climb, but then they may have this really sharp turn, and then you go around the turn, and then you start keep heading back up, and you just kind of weave your way through these mountains, and that's how you get over them. And then, of course, after you get over them, then you have to go down, okay? And it's the same deal. These real winding switchbacks as you make your way down the highway. Now, if you've ever been on a mountain road, you know that not only do they have signs that give warnings. They tell you to reduce your speed. If you don't know how to read, they actually have pictures with little arrows, you know, so you kind of like, oh, that's coming. And then you will also find that they have these guardrails, big metal guardrails that begin before the curve and they go all the way around the curve. And now they're there for really good reasons. Because especially as you are descending, your vehicle could accelerate if your brakes went out. That guardrail is going to keep you from going over the cliff. And if you look at the guardrails, you can see that many a car has glanced the side of that guardrail. There's all these markings. And I'm sure it does wonders for your car, you know. But you, you hit it, and it, what it does is it forces you back onto the road. And under icy conditions, you got a lot of snow. Those guardrails are the difference between life and death. You go over a cliff at any rate of speed, you don't make it you are likely going to die, tragically. The guardrail 
It literally, it saves your lives. God has placed a guardrail in our lives to keep us from going over the emotional cliff. You know what it is? It's found right here, Philippians 3.1. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again, it's no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. We have a propensity to try to find our joy and happiness in our circumstances, which always have problems. We, we never have life perfect. There's always breakdown, always problems. And what happens is we are trusting so much in our circumstances that we literally, we start tanking and we move into despondency and we even move into despair, discouragement, if not depression. Now, I'll tell you that, you know, there may be something medically going on biologically in your brain that may be causing depression. If that is the case, you do need to visit your doctor. But oftentimes, a lot of our discouragement and our despair has to do with the idea that we are trusting in our circumstances and our emotions and not into Christ. And that's what causes us to just, boo. Anybody want to know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? Am I the only one that knows? Oh, guess what? We all do, don't we? And for many people, many Christians, they actually, oh, I just got to endure life. I know Jesus but I don't know joy. Do you know where joy is found? Joy is found in focusing on Jesus. And now this is where most people seem to get stuck. They, they, get, they just kind of like, I can't get past this. I, I just feel bad and I feel bad all the time and I got all these bad things going on in my life and who doesn't, right? Life is full of trials. We should expect them. Let me tell you this. The problem is that for most Christians, they take their spirituality passive and they don't take an active role in their spiritual life. They are waiting for some emotion to hit them where they're going to now thank God or to praise him. That's what rejoicing is, thanking him, praising him, giving him glory, thinking great thoughts, reminding themselves of truth. What they do is they're just waiting for an event or emotion or some wave of of something to hit them, like happiness, where then they're now I'm going to start praising God and rejoicing Him, and they're waiting a long time. The key, my friends, is to be active. That is why this is an imperative when you look at 4.4, to rejoice in the Lord. You take an active role in your spiritual life. So how do you actually do that? How do you rejoice in the Lord? How do you give Him praise and thanks? Well, what you do is you start rejoicing by thinking and thanking him for who he is, that he is the God of the living and the dead. He is sent his son, Jesus, the resurrected one. He's the righteous one. He is just. And you thank him not only for who he is, but for what he does. He forgives. He renews. He gives you peace. He gives you stability. He will never leave you, nor will ever forsake you. And you actively do this. You don't wait for the emotion to hit you, because guess what? We don't live by our emotions. We live by what? Faith. We take God at his word. So you start thanking him for what he does, his acts of mercy and grace. And then you know what you also do? You thank him and you rejoice in what he gives. He gives us what we really need. Grace, spiritual strength, hope, peace. But do you know where they're found? They're found in Christ. And so when he says rejoice in the Lord, 
It is a plea that you take your spiritual life not passively, but actively. Now, if you're thinking like, well, you know, is this something new? Is this just something that Paul just wrote and maybe I'd missed this all along? Actually, if you look at the Old Testament, this is an emphasis that you actually take an active role in your spiritual life. Now, I want to, before I point some things out about the Old Testament, I want you to know that finding your joy in Christ is not divorced from reality. Okay, so for instance, like if you're walking around in the dark and you run your foot and your toes into a piece of your furniture at home, I mean, you don't like, oh, I just broke three of my toes. Rejoice the Lord. Oh, this is awesome. I mean, that's weird. Okay, no one's like that. We're human, right? You got bad things that happen to you, difficult circumstances, broken relationships. That causes pain, hurt. There's sorrow. There are tears. We are actually made in the image of God. We have the capacity to care, and we are human. And you're going to express your humanity. But the ticket is, don't just live on the the negative emotions. You need to orient your heart to actually trust in God. Let me uh, give you a couple examples of this, of what this looks like. For instance, Paul said, rejoice always. Remember this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16? Pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Now, are you interested in God's will? Nobody is? Okay. Really, you, know where, I, you know who is really interested in God's will? Our, I found our college students. So like, if I get opportunities to speak to Baylor college students, Uh, I find that they're very interested in God's will, specifically on who they should marry, okay? And so when you mention God's will, like, we're totally locked in because they really would like to know, okay, I'm really focused on God's will, if they're a Christian, on who I should marry. And you, as a Christian, you should be really concerned about God's will for your life, right? Not just the college student, but every one of us. And you know what God's will for your life is? That you rejoice always and you actually give thanks as a way of life. You pray without ceasing. That means that you pray as you go through your day. You are learning to find your joy in Christ and not your circumstances, and you're learning to talk to him as a way of life, whether you're driving, in between projects at work, in between classes, as you're preparing dinner, before you go to bed, when you wake up. It is learning to find your joy in Christ, keeping Christ at the center. Now, if you feel like you know what? I don't feel like finding my joy in Jesus. Isn't it hypocrisy to find your joy in Christ when you don't feel like it? Actually, it's not hypocrisy. You know what it is? It's obedience. It's actually obeying God. It's faith. It is taking God at his word. And he says, he says in a command form, an imperative, rejoice in the Lord. And so that's, how do you do that? Let me, let me show you how it worked in the Old Testament. Now, after I became a Christian when I was in college, uh, I actually started reading the Psalms. And I'd, I'd have to tell you that I couldn't relate. I mean, have you ever read the Psalms? I mean, the, the level of spirituality was, was so deep. And, and then like the suffering and the just literally casting yourself upon God. And I was like, man, I am, I, I know about Jesus and I'm just learning how to walk by faith. And it just seemed like this was at a, a completely different level. 
It's only after I started growing in my relationship with Christ that the psalm started taking on more and more meaning. And this idea of actively seeking God versus just passively waiting for the feeling to hit you, I think I learned most of this from David and the psalms. I want to give you a couple examples of this. Like in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, in verse 11 in chapter 42 and verse 5 and 43, I want you to listen to the statement. In fact, you even see it up here. This is what David writes. He writes, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. All right, time out. Who in the world is David talking to? Who is he talking to? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Okay, where are my high school kids? Because they always know all their answers. Okay, who's he, anybody, who's he talking to? He's, he's actually, he is counseling his soul to do what? To find this, his soul's hope in God. He's saying, you know what? Yeah, it's a bad situation. Saul's running around with an army trying to kill me. I live in a cave. I got a band of ruffians. They're highly undependable. I got to feed these guys. Life is tough. I, it's bad. I'm on the run and I've done some good things. And yet, he says, Find your joy. Why are you in despair? Find your hope in God. He is counseling his soul to do probably what his soul doesn't feel like doing, especially his feelings don't feel like doing it, but he is taking an active role in his spiritual life. Or you want another example? In Psalm 103, this, look at how he begins it. In Psalm 103, verse 1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So who's he talking to? This is not a trick question. Okay, short-term memory, kick in. Who's he counseling to, right? Who's he counseling? He's counseling his soul to do what? To find his soul's joy, not in his circumstances, but in God. And Psalm 103 is a beautiful rehearsing of all the many benefits and the blessings that come from knowing the living God. This is what true spirituality looks like, that we're not just riding on the motions, but that we are truly directing our soul to find our hope and our praise in God. And friends, you can do this even when your soul is grieving. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is happy. Frankly, there may be some very difficult circumstances. You may even be grieving the loss of a loved one, and yet, you can be like Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10 where he says, I'm sorrowful, but I am always rejoicing. My heart is broken and breaking from what I'm seeing in these difficulties. But you know what? I am always rejoicing. Did you really want to experience joy this Christmas? Let me tell you where you find it. Rejoice in the Lord. Focus your heart. Don't wait for the feeling to hit you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You counsel your soul to find your joy in Christ, who He is, what He's done, what He gives. Now, I'll tell you, this is easier said than done, isn't it? Okay? I mean, like, I, I'm telling you this, you read this, and you're like, wow, that's great, that's the answer, but you hit, and you walk out there, and you hit Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, 
and you're not so eager to rejoice in the Lord, right? Uh, I can tell you this from personal experience. Something happens while I'm sleeping. Because when I wake up, I just don't spring out of bed like, oh, sweet, I got to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, I want to get my day going off uh, well, and then I hear my cat screaming. He's going to wake up everybody else in the family. So then I got to feed my cats. But let me tell you something, a pattern that I've tried to develop. And I, this might be after I fed the cats, and I try to keep a good attitude with that. But it's to do this, is to pause just even for a few seconds and to release myself fully to God. That, Lord, I just want to keep Christ at the center today, and I want you to accomplish your purposes in me. Something about connecting early on and focusing and fixing your joy on him, I have found to be so very helpful. Now, I know that most of you are much more spiritual than myself, and you probably got much more sophisticated and profound ways of how you engage God in the morning. But I have found just simply speaking to him and orienting my heart and my soul upon Christ gets me moving in the right direction in the morning. Now, you're going to need supernatural help this is not easy. In fact, uh, there are some real re- good reasons why many of us do not go with the joy of the Lord as we go through our days. There is a reason why there's a lot of folks, a lot of Christians, this Christmas, are going to plow through these holidays, and it's really not going to be that great. They're going to they're going to really regret that moment of graciousness they had where they decided to invite the in-laws over for Christmas, and now they're like, oh, why did I do that? You know, and like, it's going to be so painful, and i got to make all this food, and I can never make her happy, or all these things are going through your head. And let me tell you some of the barriers to keep you from finding your joy in Christ. These might sound pretty familiar, or maybe not. Let me give you three reasons why we neglect to find our joy in Christ. One is, it's one of Satan's major strategies to keep you from finding your joy in Christ. This is his strategy. To do anything to cause you to get your focus off of Christ and onto any circumstance, person, event, entertainment, anything but Christ. Because to experience joy, you have to focus on Jesus. There is no other joy apart from that. And so Satan is a master at this. And he's super good. He's got millions and millions of even Christians, although he can't rob you of eternal life because that has been safely secured and provided by Christ. You're united with him forever if you're trusting in him. But he can rob you of the experience of joy in Christ by getting your focus off of him and onto anything else. It could be experiences, your education, your job, your money, whether you have a lot of it or you don't have much, your, your car, uh, your, just your family gatherings, the music, just the season, anything to keep you from finding your joy in Christ. And he's a master at it. And he's got all sorts of counterfeits. I mean, there's a reason why people take drugs and they do a lot of drinking and they're promiscuous in their sexuality. Do you know why, though? It's because they're trying to find hope, joy, some sort of sense of well-being, identity, peace in something or someone apart from knowing the living God. And that is all part of Satan's strategy to keep you from finding your joy in Christ. Let me also tell you another reason why we neglect to find our joy in Christ. And that is because our flesh prevails. The residual aspect of our old nature, that which is not redeemed, which one day we will be emancipated from, whether it's at the rapture, at the second coming of Christ, where he actually takes us away and brings us with him, or that when we pass away, We'll be emancipated from our flesh and we will worship God eternally 
without this residual aspect of our flesh that never wants to worship God. You know, before you were a Christian, did you ever have great thoughts of worshiping God or walking with joy in Christ or focusing on Him? Never. The flesh never wants to focus on Jesus. The flesh is always about you, what, what makes you think you're happy, and, and it's all about your self-centered desires and drives. And before you knew Christ, you were driven by your earthly, fleshly passions. It may explain a lot of the misery of your life prior to knowing Christ. You might be here. It might explain a lot of the misery that you're going through presently because you are driven by your flesh that never wants to yield to God, never wants to find joy in Christ. And our flesh, it has a way of prevailing, even among Christians. You wake up, you go through the day, you don't feel like finding your joy in Christ. Guess where that comes from? It comes from your flesh. And let me give you another one, and this is, uh, this is one that really hits really close to home for me. I, I was explaining to somebody this week, I, I'm, uh, I'm high-strung, okay? I like to work hard. I like to accomplish a lot of things. I'm a go-getter. I go after a lot of stuff, work real hard. But I found that by rushing too much and resting too little, I find it difficult to find my joy in Christ. If you're a type A, got to get her done, and you got your list of things that you're always just knocking out of the park to try to get accomplished, and you never learn to take time to rest in Christ, you're rushing too much, it has a way of keeping you from finding your joy in Christ. Christ. So did you really want joy in life, especially this Christmas? Let me tell you where it's found. It's found in rejoicing in the Lord. Even with your flaws, even in the midst of all your failures and your fears. In fact, those are especially the times when you've blown it, that you confess your sin and you once again direct your heart to God because Satan wants to keep you down. Your flesh doesn't want to yield to Christ. That is when you find your joy in him. You rejoice that forgiveness has been provided in Christ. God never sees you in your sin, always in the Son. That he loves you unconditionally. As humans, pretty much we only know conditional love, right? Even with our spouses, as much as we try, we're still a little conditional at times, right? Yeah. But God, he unconditionally loves us, and it's in that environment he wants his children to thrive. And you know how you do it. You rejoice in the Lord. That's, friends, that is how we live. And when we rejoice in the Lord, let me just tell you what happens. Our faith is strengthened. Our peace is increased. When we rejoice in the Lord, our mind is renewed. Our life is changed. Our testimony is validated. And our God is glorified. When you and I truly learn to direct our hearts to find our joy in Christ. We thank him, we worship him, we orient our lives around him. He changes us from the inside out. Now, let me tell you, when we pray, sometimes we, I find that we're asking God to change our circumstances. And, and you know what? Sometimes he does. This week, uh, Corinne and I had an experience where we, we had something that absolutely looked like it couldn't be changed. It was causing, causing a lot of stress in our family. And we prayed over the phone. I was in Austin. She was here in Waco. We asked God that you've got to do something about this. We just put this before him. And we had gotten answers like, no, it can't be changed. And God did it. I can't explain it. 
And it was awesome. But you know what? God doesn't always change our circumstances. Sometimes he does. That'd be great if he changed them all the time, but you know what? He knows what's best. And I got to be okay with that. But let me tell you what happens when we pray and we learn to find our joy in Christ and rejoice in him. God always changes us. He changes our perspective. He might give us a tranquility and peace that comes from resting and trusting in him even as we go through the hard and the harsh of life. But that only comes, friends, when we learn to rejoice in the Lord. You want maturity in your relationship with Christ? You want gravitas and stability in your life? It's found, friends, simply in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And when we do, what happens is our lives reflect his presence. Our, we reflect the gentleness and the grace of Christ, and we are transformed because of him. So this Christmas, do you really want joy, or do you want to go after fleeting happiness? Joy is found in focusing on Jesus. Last night I was um, reading mail. I, I got this letter, and I, uh, this really kind of, it's disturbing. The letter didn't tell me a lot of things that were new to me, but it really has helped me with perspective. What happens when we strip everything away from Christmas that we know as Americans? Could we still have joy? And the answer to that question is yes. And there are believers in other parts of the world that have joy in Christ, though they have trouble in life. And in this letter, it's, uh, this is an excerpt from a student who has firsthand information on this. He writes this, North Korea has seen much press around the world in recent weeks for its saber-rattling and threats of nuclear war. Like a spoiled child throwing a tantrum, the North Korean government is once again trying to threaten the international community into giving it what it wants. But behind all this rhetoric and propaganda is a population slowly starving to death under one of the most oppressive regimes the world has ever known. The nation's political system is based on a religious ideology that demands worship of the dictator and shows no mercy to worshipers of the true God. In fact, anyone caught with a Bible in North Korea is executed and three generations of a family are sent to die in labor camps if just one of them is convicted of being a Christian. As a nation that has continually ranked among the world's worst violators of human rights and religious freedom, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea may seem like the least likely place to find a blossoming church. However, let us not forget that even in one of Israel's darkest hours, the Lord had left 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Not many people are aware that before the communist takeover of what is now North Korea, its current capital was known among the missionary circles as the Jerusalem of the East due to its plethora of thriving churches, mission stations, and seminaries. The large Christian influence in South Korea today is largely due to those northern believers who fled south during the Korean War. Some Christians also remained in the north and were forced to practice their faith underground. Regardless of what may be said about North Korea on the evening news, the light of the gospel was never snuffed out there and is even spreading throughout the land today. 
So let me ask you, can you have joy in the midst of great tribulation, trial, and persecution? When you're stripped down, you have nothing. Can you? Yes, you can. When you find your joy in rejoicing in Jesus. So friends, if you really want joy this Christmas and in your life, take an active role of putting your faith, your trust, your thanksgiving, and finding your joy in knowing the living God, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture. I trust that that's why we're here this morning, that we would know the secret of true joy in this life, and that is to find, to find it in Jesus. And Father, if there is someone who has come here today, you brought them here, and they've always been searching for joy, and yet their sin just keeps having them try to find it in things that can never give it. But they turn from their sin and self-centeredness and just pray with me and say, Lord, through all the ice and however I got here, you brought me here to actually hear that joy is found in Jesus. And I turn from my sin. I thank you that he paid the price for my sin on the cross and he's resurrected. And I trust him today. And for all of us, Lord, may we develop patterns where we find our joy in knowing Christ. May he be the reason for our celebration. And we thank you for him as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.